Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Jason Lacombe, CEO at Veritrack. A graduate of Toronto and Oxford University, Jason was recently named as one of Forbes 30 under 30. He has advised the WHO and the European Union, and his business is one of the fastest growing tech companies in the life science space. I'm particularly excited to speak to Jason today because he has a startup in the space that I operate as well. And so he is also a great guy. So I'm very excited to speak to him. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks very much for uh, having me on. And I uh, appreciate the, uh, the uh, biography introducing me. It's quite, uh, quite an exaggeration of what I am in reality. So <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> No worries at all. Um, I should I should run a PR company, honestly, with Matt. With... <laughs> so, Jason, I, I obviously know you already and know uh, you know about you and your business. But for for our listeners that might not have, have come across you in Veritrack, do you mind just giving them an overview of uh, what you guys do? But also, um, you know, tell us a bit about you know your background and how you got into the sector and, and ended up doing what you do today. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess uh, just quickly on my background. So before starting Veritrack, I was a health economist in Canada. And really what that meant was I was doing essentially modeling of the drug supply chain in partnership with large pharmaceuticals and their, the government. And through this modeling exercise and this collaboration with these pharma companies, it became very apparent that there was you know, a lot of uh, bottlenecks and inefficiencies in the drug supply chain that was having an impact on ultimately patients receiving you know, their drugs, but also receiving their drugs in, I guess, a higher quality manner. So with that in mind, I, I kind of was very fortunate to receive a full scholarship to Oxford in the WHO Collaborating Centre. So that's what brought me over to the UK. And um, I was looking at, at the time, how do we essentially improve uh, some of these inefficiencies that I've served in the past? And you know, with that, I thought there was a lot of opportunity for new technologies and digitization to improve drug supply chains globally. Uh, and that was really what I was focused on. And at the, that same time that I was studying at Oxford, I became interested in blockchain technology. And I think uh, I'll be the first one to tell you that there's a lot of you know, garbage out there when it comes to blockchain. There's a lot of scams. <laughs> and and uh, I was trying to really separate, you know, where, where is the actual value for the farm industry using this new technology and, and how will that help? ultimately these companies uh, deliver medicines to patients in a more effective manner. Um, so with that in mind, I, I started the Blockchain Society at Oxford as about six years ago now. And uh, very quickly we saw enrollment spike up, but, but it was uh, at the time correlated with everyone wanting to know about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So that was, uh, that was a, a good learning, but ultimately it was uh, for us, you know, trying to draw out well, where is the value in blockchain? Where does blockchain um, help organizations? And it's really around uh, data integrity, uh, better immutable audit trail, as, as a lot of these companies are outsourcing to third-party suppliers, having trust with those suppliers, having visibility, and sh ensuring that uh, once things leave those four walls, that ultimately, um, you know, the documents or the, the data hasn't been tampered with. So that's that's my background. In terms of Veritrack itself, so Veritrack, as you mentioned, is a startup. It grew out of the University of Oxford ecosystem. A lot of our first employees were um, you know, doing PhDs, masters, and MBAs there when, when we started the company. And at a high level, the problem that Veritrack is, is focused on solving is that we are a software platform, a SaaS software platform, 
for essentially handling inefficient and unsecure document exchange outside the four walls of, of pharma companies. Uh, and the reason for that is, as you'll, as you know, and as everyone that's listening to the podcast knows, you know, companies have fantastic systems for internal review, approval, document creation, data creation in terms of their ERP systems, or management systems, quality management systems. But how that data and information is shared outside the four walls of those organizations with their supply chain partners is in a very inefficient, unsecure manner. So the majority of our customers, you know, before using Veritrack, were sharing um, sensitive quality documentation, for example, through email, fax, or post. So obviously, you lose that visibility, you lose that, um, you lose that really the security element and the data integrity once it leaves your four walls. So we created the, a SaaS platform for essentially collaborating on. Uh, GMP documentation. And we've been really fortunate to now, you know, as you mentioned, fast growth, um, working with just over 50 large pharma and, and, and their supply chain partners uh, across three continents over the last uh, four years now. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite the background <laughs> for someone that's uh, relatively young as well within, within the sector. I noted a few things, a few terms that you said there, Jason, uh, you said SaaS, you said blockchain, you said cryptocurrency. For having worked in the pharma sector for the best part of 20 years, it's uh, it's fair to say it's on the more traditional and conservative side. So I'm curious to know what kind of like barriers to entry are you or have you faced? I imagine when you guys have knocked on the doors of companies, what you guys do is almost seemingly impossible or is it too futuristic <laughs> i'm just um yeah genuinely want to know how the, the the initial reaction has been to a business like yours kind of entering uh, the, the the marketplace yeah absolutely and that's a great question um and to be honest it's changed over the last few years and we've seen that change for the better for sure in the early days kind of when we would go knocking on the doors of large pharma companies i think a lot of the you know c-suite that we're speaking to there their board was very interested in blockchain, but they were more interested in speaking with companies that are doing blockchain, more so for a free consulting exercise. So we would go into these um, sessions with these companies and, and, you know, really what they were looking to do was educate themselves on the you know benefits, but also, you know, if there was reasons not to adopt a new technology like blockchain. And I think over the last three years, what we've seen is, you know, through companies doing a lot of proof of concepts and pilots in this emerging space, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, learnings, but also a lot of companies becoming, you know, well-educated in what the mm-hmm. technology can offer to their organization and what it can offer. So by no means is, you know, blockchain going to change the world on its own. It's a great first step for ensuring, you know, data integrity across your supply chain. But ultimately, it's a matter of um, when we work with these companies, try and understand, you know, how do you currently do things? Are you currently sharing, you know, things over email? Yeah. Okay. Well, what are some of the issues there? And the issues are, are quite apparent. So, the farm industry itself is the number one target for cyber attacks. The farm industry itself, the majority of these uh, cyber attacks are done through what's known as PDF phishing or PDF malware. It's this idea of embedding a, a compromised PDF attachment to an email, and then the receiving party opens that email, and all of a sudden their entire system has gone down. And there's some really good cases of this now that are highlighted in, in the industry and, and also in the news. So, you know, more recently we've seen the NHS has been compromised There's a cyber attack like this. We've seen Merck, uh, they were speaking about this at the Logi Pharma conference, the keynote, you know, whatever that was last year. And then we've seen a number of other examples of essentially, you know, companies that do such a good job securing the four walls, 
but then essentially, you know, all of that work kind of falls over when they come to, when it comes to how they're sharing that information with their partners. So over time, I would say the first couple of years were really focused on educating the industry, letting them know that you know there, you don't need cryptocurrency to you know use blockchain. The technology itself adds a lot of value without a lot of the, the scams that come with you know what is a Vera token. We we aren't a cryptocurrency. <laughs> we 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 don't do that. Um, and then from there, you know, actually you know starting with these organizations, helping them, educating them, and then ultimately seeing the value through just a better collaborative approach for working with their supply chain partners through having better visibility, and then ultimately the efficiency pickups that come with that through things like reducing lead times, you know, reducing right first time, improving right first time percentages, and um, ultimately getting these this, these uh, cycle times shorter for these organizations. And you mentioned the supply chain there, and that, that kind of leads me quite nicely on to just asking, so do you guys work with companies in the supply chain or direct to pharma, or I'm assuming a combination of, of both of these? Yeah, that's right. So it's the latter. It's a combination of both. You know, if I think about our first customers, they were uh, contract, you know, packaging organizations, contract manufacturing organizations. And, you know, really our go-to-market with those organizations was focused on, for an organization like a contract manufacturer, they're working upstream with, you know, let's say 20 to 50 large pharmaceutical companies. And very, and these pharmaceutical companies as the license holder, you know, they, they instill a lot of trust and they put a lot of trust in these contract manufacturers. So by these manufacturers coming to them and saying, hey, we now have a platform for essentially you dropping files in, you reviewing, for us, reviewing and approving files, but you also have visibility into our organization. That's been, you know, a win for these organizations as a way to differentiate themselves from uh, their, their outsourced competition. And then now, you know, working with, some of these original customers, a big focus of ours has been how do we work together collaboratively to, you know, work with your upstream customers. So one thing about the Veritrack platform is that all of our paying customers have full functionality, but we give all of their, their customers and suppliers, whether that's upstream or downstream in the value chain, you know, free guest functionality so they can perform all the work just like they would be doing over email, but in a much more secure manner. And then we work with those organizations to make sure that the, there's a very easy uh, easy approach in terms of how we can then, you know, upgrade their accounts in many instances. I love that. That's a really nice approach to collaboration rather than kind of charging everyone for a license fee. Yeah, exactly. And every, exactly. And every uh, which I'm sure would be very, <laughs> very yeah. uh, kind of good for you from a financial perspective, but it, you know, it seems particularly at the minute, the, the right thing to do. And I have to, I, have to ask, I imagine it must be, I can imagine you guys in a conversation with, someone within a either a big CDMO or a big pharma company that just cannot get their head around or just feel like this is too modern. It must be very frustrating for you guys. So how, how do you guys demonstrate the value of, of what you guys uh, deliver? So obviously you mentioned kind of reducing inefficiencies and security, but presumably it's cost effective as well, right? Do you bring cost efficiencies to, to the projects that you work on? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So that's a great question. So for all of our customers, we want to, as a first you know, point of exercise, understand their current process, understand things like their lead times, understand um, how many people are collaborating on a certain process, whether that's a you know batch document release process, master packaging process, artwork management process. And then from there, we kind of have a good understanding of how long these things are taking. And then once they on we onboard them onto our platform, it becomes very, you know, very apparent that they are they're receiving immense value. So for example, 
if I think about a case study we just did with a large contract manufacturing organization from using our platform and moving away from email exchange for just artwork management, they were able to see a 15% reduction in error identification time, a 20% improvement in time to market, which ultimately led to over 200,000 pounds in additional capacity, 800,000 in terms of packaging cost loss improvements, and, and ultimately uh, 70,000 pounds in labor hours saved. So that's the quantitative benefits. And really why that, that happens is, as you can imagine, if you're a QP at a contract manufacturing organization or contract packaging organization, right now, the way that most of our customers are working before using Veritrack is you're, you're running around all day, you're signing off on different documents, and ultimately you're trying to assemble, um, you're maybe in 16 different email chains that have different um, documents that are being shared with your, your supply chain partners. And then at the end of the day, you're trying to assemble these all down into one uh, document that you can release to market. So by using the Veritrack platform, we bring all of those document exchange processes into a single interface that allows that QP in you know a matter of five minutes to go in and approve review and sign off on all that critical documentation and release it out to the market so it's a much better um, easier and more flexible way of working with your supply chain partners i love it i think it's absolutely awesome I and mean, it's funny because when you know the, the normal run of the episodes uh, that you know interviewing guests like yourself i spend the next in the first 15 minutes just asking about the person and and i'm going to come to that in a few minutes but i just think what you guys do is is genuinely fantastic and uh you know i remember speaking at an event last year and and making a prediction around the kind of digitization of the supply chain and i was met with a few groans and kind of oh we've heard this all before but i think what's what what i love about what you guys do is you guys are actually um obviously you had the vision to do this but you it's not all you know, you guys are t- uh, kind of walking the walk as well as well as talking the talk and actually delivering efficiencies and savings for for companies in the in the drug supply chain, which is is genuinely uh, you know great to see in the sector. And and I'm guessing COVID and the the pandemic has has I suppose helped accelerate that to an extent in the different ways of working. So do you mind talking a little bit about kind of how uh, you know the last six months has has kind of uh, impacted your business in terms of, uh, I suppose, bringing new potential customers to the table. Maybe people that you never thought you'd ever hear from again <laughs> came knocking on the door yeah. uh, because of the nature of what is that a fair reflection? I mean, that's purely based on my assumption. It might be completely off, but that that's where I suspect your business is uh, on what it's felt in the last six months. Yeah, I know absolutely. I mean, uh, it's been obviously a very unfortunate time, you know, across the globe for. For a number of reasons and it's, it's created a lot of stress across a number of industries but in many ways you know the pharmaceutical life science industry has been flourishing as a result of, of COVID it's one of the you know one of the industries that's that continues to keep the lights on continues to be busy and um, what that's meant for our business is that the reality is a lot of these companies are being forced to work remotely and they didn't have the solutions previously to allow them to work remotely so a good example of this is you know QPs again so QPs you know, traditionally are used to applying a wet signature or scanning something or faxing and printing some document before sending it off and or uploading it into their ERP, for example. Um, the reality is that when they're working from home, they're like, wow, we actually can't do this anymore. So they've come to Veritrack and, and just using something as simple as our, our you know, 21 CFRA, uh, CFR Part 11 e-signature and applying that, you know, to their documents has saved them a lot of stress 
uh, and has allowed them to adapt to these these changing times. But what that's actually meant to you know bear track in our bottom line is it's led. If we look at our usage over the last six months, we've seen over 400% growth um, in our platform and the usage associated with it. And what that what that's ultimately meant is, and I break this growth down into really three buckets: is in our existing customers. Um, we're getting an increase in the number of users on a month-by-month basis, and that's because you know traditionally companies will start for using a VeriTrack platform for one process, say that's a quality process or an artwork management process or procurement process, but now they're using it for a number of different processes, and a number of different teams are using the platform, which has led to that uptick in, in internal users of our customers. And then secondly, we've seen, to your point, a huge uptick in the number of net new customers that are coming onto the Veritrack platform. And that's really been uh, twofold. It's been first through our existing customers' customers, because now they're realizing that functionality exists in the Veritrack platform, and they're realizing that they they uh, need a solution like ours. And then secondly, we're seeing uh, net new customers that were either you know, not talking to us, you know, in the past or have come back to the table or have, have discovered us. And really the reason for that is because, you know, even if we look at software adoption in the industry, you know, traditionally companies have been slow to adopt SaaS-based solutions. They've relied on on-prem solutions, you know, and servers, but that's just not, you know, something that's, 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 that's reasonable right now in this situation. So by Veritrack being a SaaS-based provider, you know, we build everything on AWS, so it's very secure. You know, companies are trusting us and moving to, to upgrading to the paying customer license. And then the third area is really um, the functionality and the features. So one thing that we pride ourselves in, we release um, product updates quarterly, and that's all really based on the feedback that we get from our users. And we always constantly, through an iterative process, you know, improve the product, release new features and functionality to best meet their needs. And then obviously all put, open that up to the validation window to then have them test and, and sign off on that. But what that's meant is that the, you know, the scope and the depth of which uh, companies use the platform has expanded. Uh, and, and the learnings that we've got as a, as a business has led to, you know, us being able to offer, I guess, modules, if you will, that really solve problems for these different organizations. So that's been fantastic for us. And, you know, in many ways, we've been busier than ever as a result. Well, I did, I mean, I mean, that's great. And I did read uh, in kind of research and uh, prior to the, the interview was um, that you'd made your platform uh, available during COVID for, for new companies as well, which I thought, I'm not sure if you guys still doing that, but I thought that was a, a really great thing to do at a difficult time uh, so fair play <laughs> to yeah. you guys for, for doing that and I wanted to ask you about so it's funny because I look at you and your background and you have a very solid academic background and yet you strike me as very entrepreneurial so if I ask, if I have to ask you are you more academic or entrepreneurial which which would you say you were <laughs> good question I'd like to say I've, I'm always been curious when it comes to entrepreneurial um activities but I've never really I never really jumped in until I knew that I had something that I that I thought would work in terms of a an ad company and that was Veritrack and I think that I guess a lot of the credit does that I've I've seen for the business is, is really as a result of us being fortunate to receive investments from the top tier venture capital firms here in Europe and then with that you know, the, the experts and residents or the venture partners that we can rely on for me to, you know, do a crash course in, in learning about how to operate a business or a crash course in understanding 
you know, how, um, I guess, how the world really works versus how the academic <laughs> world works. So uh, I've been really fortunate in that regard to have some great mentors. And if you look at our advisory board, I mean, we've, we've put together a really fantastic advisory board. We have, you know, Dr. Richard Barker, who is uh, the head of McKinsey Life Sciences. He sat on the board at Celgene. He ran IBM Healthcare. We have, uh, if you look at it, just a number of people, Tony Dufagalis right now is the CEO of Evox Therapeutics. I, the reason I bring him up was he is the chief scientific officer of Moderna. And right now, obviously, they're leading, uh, they're at the forefront, really, of the vaccine for the COVID vaccine development. Uh, and we have a number of, of people on our website that have added a lot of value um, to, the, to Veritract, the genesis of Veritract, the strategic decisions, and ultimately uh, where we are now. That's great. That's absolutely great. And uh, I'm sure, you know, when this episode airs, you probably, you're not going to thank me when you get a load of investment companies <laughs> ringing, ringing you up and trying to buy a stake in your business, which is clearly going, going in the right direction. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Tell me, how, how have you found leading a team? Because you're a relatively young guy in a, in a, you know, in a tech firm, but in a, a conservative sector. What's that learning curve been like? And I imagine having those mentors and senior people around you has been uh, very helpful. I was laughing when you said, uh, you know, a crash course in in learning how to do things in the real world. And I, I was going to say, I wish I'd have done that crash course 10, 12 years ago, because I feel like I've been on that crash course for the last decade with my business. So how, how have you grown into that leadership uh, role? And uh, I imagine it's a daily challenge, but... It's, it's not an easy uh, transition to make at any point in your career, but particularly, you know, relatively uh, young guy like yourself. So how, how's that been? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question, to be honest, like introspecting on that and, and reflecting on that is, uh, <laughs> could, go, could go on for ages in, in terms of how I would think about that. But I think, uh, to be honest, the reality is a lot of the reason that our team has been successful and the company you know, as a result has, has grown so successfully is, is the people that I've surrounded myself with. So if I look at, you know, our lead technical engineer, Roland Beshi, you know, he really is the best what he does. And he's also, you know, from, from getting this experience has developed himself professionally in areas like, you know, leadership, management, uh, communication. I look at, you know, our head of product was, it was just called Tierney. He, he had previously um, done track and trace surgical devices before doing his MBA at Oxford. Um, and this guy is, is honestly so valuable in how um, the company functions, ensuring that the product is constantly evolving, constantly improving, taking that feedback from our customers. And really, you know, the structure that someone like our operations manager, Olivia, has put in place to ensure that even during these uncertain times with, with COVID, you know, the company continues to function well. We all work remotely, continues to, you know, work in two-week sprint intervals, continues to deliver on time and all of uh, you know high quality um, um, output. So I think to, to answer your question, I've learned a lot just from the people that I've surrounded myself with, and that's made me a better leader. But I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say I'm I guess uh, a strong leader in, in that sense that I rely a lot on the people that I've surrounded myself with, but always looking to upskill. You'd be surprised. I mean, it, you, you, your your response and answer is actually quite similar to people who I've spoke to and interviewed in the last few months that have been doing it for 30, 40 years, where they often say, 
surrounding themselves with really strong people and smart people is actually, uh, you know, at the heart of leadership. Uh, what I, what I really liked and uh, is is I suppose the the human element of you just describing your colleagues with you know a kind of glowing reference and what they mean to you in the business and you know in my my eyes that's actually a key part of leadership where they're not you know you know just kind of kind of pawns in a in a game they're actually real people that deliver real value and that you know you clearly have a relationship and care about so i think that's probably part of your makeup is just having that human connection with your with your team and probably why you're you're building such a such a great company and um and tell me how would your best friend describe you in three words (laughs) yeah uh on this podcast how would they describe me (laughs) i guess um (laughs) yeah i would say um Curious for sure, in terms of I, you know, I, if I read something online, I'm always constantly questioning and wanting to get to the right answers. I would say driven or motivated in, in that sense. And sometimes maybe that doesn't translate well into actual personal relationships, but translates well into, you know, that drive to constantly be improving myself and, and the business. And then thirdly, I would say, I would say recently, probably if they're asked, if I was asked them, I, I would think that they would say, um, it's <laughs> a good one. I'm trying to be patient. It's maybe just, I don't know. Like I, I, I think I, I instill a lot of um, confidence. So you just, if we think about that last answer around the team, so a lot of confidence in them. But we're all learning, and you know, mm-hmm. with that, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, working on um, servicing this industry and doing a great job with our customers. But none of us are perfect, so we're we constantly are looking <laughs> to improve, right? And that's that's just the reality. Absolutely. No, I love it. And uh, you have one of the qualities that I absolutely lack, which is patience. And, you know, my, my team and my wife and my family can't stand me for that, for that particular <laughs> aspect. And uh, my patience levels aren't, aren't the greatest. So, okay, I'm going to spend the next kind of, uh, like to kind of shift gears and, and to talk about the industry at large. And, sure. um, and you've talked, you've talked obviously about your business and there's a, there's a phrase that you guys use, which you call digitize the pharmaceutical supply chain. And I know you've talked a little bit about that already, but what, what does that mean? So if someone said, what does digitize the pharma supply chain? And, and if you could just paint a picture, not of 2020, but maybe 2050 of what that might, what that might look like. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question because it can mean a lot of different things to different people in terms of what does it mean to digitize? But I think the best way, to describe that is to give a practical example that I see right now, and then um, you know how that can evolve into you know 25 years or 10 years from now or however long. So a practical example would be some of the cell and gene therapy customers that we work with, and you know the cell and gene therapy is, is personalized medicine. It's direct from the patient. It's a very unique and uh, supply chain in many regards, in the sense that you're pulling this this medicine directly out of the patient, then you're sending to a CMO, the CMO is then doing some work and, and sending that back to the hospital. And there's obviously, you know, QC along the way and, and testing. And ultimately that supply chain is, is very complicated. And it's also very important because if you get anything wrong at any stage in that process, unfortunately, you know, the patient will pass away or they won't, they won't even be able to receive that treatment because, um, because it hasn't been uh, hasn't been created appropriately, and the reality is, um, when we talk about digitization, the solutions that currently exist aren't fit for servicing this very unique supply chain. And the reality is that companies that still rely on you know manual data entry or paper based processes 
or you know email communication it's not an, it's not efficient enough to serve these industry these these this segment of the industry so what we've seen a lot of is is an uptick and essentially these companies driving the needle in terms of digitization to say that we need and what i mean by digitization is um we can no longer rely on you know manual processes paper-based processes because they're just too slow they're archaic and for us to make sure that we deliver this medicine in you know under 48 hours we have to all work together collaboratively across what is traditionally a very fragmented supply chain. We need to all have visibility into these processes. And the only solution that can really work is a solution that allows for better collaboration, allows for um, visibility and ensures, and on the back end of that has full um, data integrity and security. And that's, that's really what a digital solution looks like. In terms of, I guess, how does this evolve over the next 10 years? So there's no, right now there's no perfect digital solution so the reality is anytime that you look at connecting the physical with the digital there's challenges and what that means is you know if you're pulling stuff off the line you can use iot you can use things like rfid or nfc tags or whatever it is to essentially try to connect create a digital connection with the physical world to the digital world but for these companies that you know haven't adopted those kind of first building blocks, if you will, and are still kind of manually recording things, that that creates a huge challenge. And over the next 10 years, you'll I think we'll see um, as a first step, companies move away from paper-based processes, move away from manual processes, move towards, you know, a, a, whether it's a tag or some kind of way of, of connecting their physical goods with the digital world. And then from there, um, adopting kind of a, a centralized platform or a single platform for essentially um, having that visibility into the physical world. And then what that allows you to do, as you can imagine, is aggregate a lot of this data, have better visibility on your product as it moves through your supply chain. And from that, you know, start making smarter supply chain decisions, do be better plan at your planning process, be better from a demand forecasting process. And then ultimately that will trickle down into, you know, using some of these new technologies like machine learning or artificial intelligence to essentially improve not only the way that you're capturing that data, but moving away from things like um, right now, a lot of our data capture is also static data capture. It's uploading a PDF and then reviewing a PDF. But if you can move towards dynamic data capture over time, this idea of uploading a PDF using machine vision to essentially pull out the pieces of metadata within that PDF that are of value, things like if you're looking at batch document, the expiry date, the lot number, the SKU, et cetera, and then pre-populate that metadata directly into that platform, you're saving a step right there. And I think over time, what we're going to see is the adoption of you know, smarter digital solutions, and that's probably going to be a SaaS-based platform. And then that's going to ultimately drive a number of efficiencies across the value chain that will lead to you know, reduced stockouts, better visibility on stock at hand, you know, reduced lead times that service some of these very niche um, segments of the industry like the cell and gene therapy space and ultimately um, better decision making for senior executives to actually as they outsource at a greater you know, rate than has been observed in the past they'll have full visibility into their contract manufacturing network globally and that will then trickle down to actually where the drugs are, are ending up at the hospital or pharmacy level and so on well i don't know about you listener but Jason's just outlined the future that I'd like to see sooner rather than later, because that sounds <laughs> the, the picture that Jason uh, painted there are around, you know, better lead times, better patient outcomes, less stockouts and 
Great. Uh, collaboration and faceability. I think, you know, this is, I suppose this is some language that we all want to see in the sector. And I think it's a, it's a really good thing that your business is able to bring uh, some of this to the, to the sector. And, and just more generally, Jason, around, I suppose, trends and shifts that you're seeing in the sector, whether it be kind of COVID or, or non-COVID related, what, what big things are you seeing right now that, that the listener might be interested in, in knowing? Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, great question. So I guess if I look at a lot of our existing customers, you can tell that they're starting to think about their the business strategy and, and where they're going to go, I guess, all in from an investment purpose moving forward, and whether that's the biologics area or, you know, the personalized medicine space or direct to the consumer. We're seeing a lot of I guess a lot of the companies in this space starting to think about that. And what that might result in is, I would say, the elimination of some of the uh, traditional kind of um, players across the supply chain. So without like giving too many examples, you know, what we'll see is if, you know, companies are moving more direct to patient and adopting that business model and things like, you know, virtual pharmacies or, um, you know, online appointments with your doctor, for example, what we're going to see is that there's, um, you know, there's a reduced need for certain companies that traditionally have, have helped there. But ultimately, um, that's the first kind of trend I'm seeing. The second trend is, you know, although we're seeing that companies are, are going all in on their investment and thinking about, you know, direct to patient, et cetera. On the flip side of that, we're seeing, I think, as a result of COVID, a lot of um, consumers or patients in this case, you know, really interested in not only their data, but where their you know, products are coming from. And I think that what that will result in is, is uh, for the first time, we're going to see you know, companies, and this isn't obviously where we're focused, but I think we're going to see you know, patients that are really interested in um, you know, things like if I, if I provide my data for clinical trials, you know, what is it being used for? We see here in, in the UK or Europe, we see you know, GDPR is it's right to be forgotten, but what does that actually mean? Um, you know, if you've given you know, data in the past and how does this all work? And then essentially from that, I think we'll see a lot of a, a demand from the patients to ultimately um, have, you know, wanting provenance of their data, where did their, or where did their drugs actually come from? Who touched them at what time? And then from that, the companies that that service those patients will have to adapt and evolve. And then the last area that I see, I'm seeing a lot of right now is that, you know, pharma companies are. I think a lot of the pharma companies that we that we work with, a lot of the the C-suite there, kind of they make their name through um, the clinical side of the drug supply chain. So the idea of developing that next generation therapy, you know, getting it successfully through, and then having the patent on that product for a long period of time. But what that's meaning is that, you know, as, as we, a trend that we're seeing is this idea of the patent cliff and a lot of these um, traditionally very lucrative in terms of revenue generating products kind of falling off their patent and then biosimilars and other types of medicines being created. And what that's going to lead to, as I, or at least what I hope that will lead to, is it will lead to more affordable medicine and accessible medicine for all, regardless if you're living in the Western world or anywhere in the world. And, and to me, that would be a fantastic thing. But that's a trend that, um, you know, hopefully won't get lost. And, and hopefully that, you know, the governments will protect, you know, the things like the, the cost of, of some of these medicines uh, as these patents start to fall off what, on traditionally what's been very expensive uh, medicine. Yeah, I love what you said there, actually, about the kind of uh, the, the back end around <coughs> affordability and accessibility of medicines. Um, I think that's such a key point. And uh, it's interesting because I feel like the pharmaceutical industry at large is at a real 
crossroads with COVID and it could come out of this situation had it, having massively repaired its reputation, you know, by producing uh, a vaccine or several vaccines that will help people and uh, the world might have a slightly different view, uh, you know, on a, on a sector that's otherwise been I suppose one of the <laughs> one of the least liked in the in in recent years. So I think we've got the opportunity to do that. And actually, the, what you said around the affordability and accessibility is is fundamental to that. One of the last questions I always ask uh, my guests is, or, or some of some of the guests is, you know, if if they could make one change to the sector, what what would that be? Now, I think what you've outlined is several fundamental changes to the sector. So rather than I suppose that fundamental fundamental change i think for any companies that are you know professionals that are listening that you know might be hearing you speak jason thinking well it sounds great and but it's, i don't even know kind of where to start yeah. and i imagine this is some of the challenge you know even you know i'm, I'm pretty a pretty tech you know tech savvy guy and digitally savvy guy and i think part of the challenge for companies like yours and is you guys are so technology focused that it's almost overwhelming for people that are, have not come from that world so where do they start, right? So if, you know, if someone was to exactly pick up the phone to you or send you an email after listening to this, where's a good place for them to start to kind of dip their toe in, in the pond as opposed to kind of going all in? And I understand what you're saying actually right. around that kind of all in strategy. Um, but I think for particularly for a lot of smaller companies, uh, where, like, you know, how do they make best use of, of the solutions you guys provide? Um, right. Or, you know, or across the industry, that would be really interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So this is, a, this is a great question. And I think the how do they dip their toe in the water? So the way that we always approach this whenever we talk to any customers or potential customers is, you know, how are you currently sharing quality documentation with your partners and suppliers? How are you currently sharing, you know, supply chain documentation? How are you sharing, you know, procurement information? And the majority of the companies we speak to are sharing it over email, fax or post. And that, that then leads to a conversation around, well, do you see any you know challenges or do you experience roadblocks or inefficiencies in how you share this information? Are you aware of you know some of the um, the potential risk you're exposing yourselves to? And a lot of times we get head nods there. And then it's a matter of defining well, well how do you want to start with Veritrack? We make it very easy. It's a very flexible platform. We can have you up using it in under an hour. And essentially, okay, well, um, let's say you know if I look at all the use cases for the current Veritrack platforms, batch manufacturing, record creation exchanges, things like commercial document exchanges, things like SOPs, um, artwork exchange, et cetera. And really you just start with one process, you know, with a small team. And from there you build that workflow. It's okay, well, a customer uploads um, the key line for this artwork file that then gets shared with, you know, someone on our quality team to review. They then review it. It gets approved by someone else in this department. And then you go through and build that workflow. And very quickly, you then see, hey, wow, we're actually saving a lot of time. And I actually have visibility on, you know, where my artwork files are sitting. And it's no, I no longer have to go through my email inbox uh, at the end of the day and try to determine, oh, wow, were we actually working off this version or this version? You know, was this the approved uh, logo for this this release so, you know is this the right language for this uh, leaflet and all these things and then it's very easy in, in that regard to get companies to at least get started finding one process one small team one small use case and then once you're you're in the platform you know we've we've designed it to uh, I guess to, to your first question what's the one thing I would love to see changed and I think um <laughs> 
depending on who, I'm just thinking back to conversations having with the CDMO, a CEO at a CDMO the other day, and, um, you know, his initial reaction to, to a new technology platform was, you know, this guy's been burned a million times in the past from other, uh, other software providers. And there's just this like sour taste or bitter taste in some of these executives mouths around things like, oh, okay, well, you're actually going to charge me an extra thousand pounds for support. Oh, you're actually then going to charge me another thousand pounds for training. Oh, you're going to charge me another thousand pounds because uh, your documents are being stored. Oh, you're going to charge me another thousand pounds to, you know, do the X, Y, and Z. And it's, you know, why we've, I think, been so successful in our growth is our, you know, and this is what we're trying to get across to these companies is that, no, no, like everything that you need is is all very transparent. There's no additional upcharge for things like validation or regression. And a lot of these companies have, have burned you in the past, but we just want you using it. And once you're using it, you'll see how easy it is to use. And then you'll see how much better it is, to, uh, you know, than other other uh, tools that are out there. And we're not going to burn you with, you know, once we sign an engagement, you know, six months down the line with, uh, you know, an implementation bill or, uh, you know, oh, you wanted this feature. Actually, that's, you have to upgrade your your software to, to get that feature. So there's been a lot of that. And that's where I think the industry is, as a whole, has kind of been burned by some of the larger software providers in the past. And it's just getting them to be, I guess, more aware that, you know, that doesn't have to be the way anymore. Um, there's a there's there's a number of flexible software providers that are you know servicing just the GMP uh, and our our industry and that that um, we're here to help and not 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 hinder your digitization. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that's that kind of inertia is part of the issue. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. Also, that kind of incentive uh, getting your fingers burnt. And my final question actually is just to ask whether there's any. Uh, well, whether you have any comments or requests for the audience, but are there any kind of uh, mantras or anything that you you live your life by? You strike me as someone that you know. You, I think you describe yourself as driven anyway. So I'm just I'm interested to know whether there is a a particular mantra that kind of or a quote or something like that 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 you come back to that uh, that keeps you going or is a reminder of, of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, it's, I'm just thinking if there's a specific one that I can pinpoint. And to be honest, I mean, nothing really jumps to mind. I think, you know, you've nailed it on the on the head in terms of the sense that, like, I, I'm very driven. I genuinely, like, you know, believe that VHI will make a difference. I genuinely think that the service we're offering ultimately has an impact on the end user, which is the patient. And that's really what gets me up, you know, and gets me excited in the morning is, you know, the idea of you know, patients getting... Uh, um, you know, medicine on time, getting medicine that hasn't been tampered with, getting, um, you know, a product that ultimately, depending on on what they're um, unfortunately suffering from, will will lead to, you know, a better outcome. So that's, I wouldn't say that's a, a mantra, but that's a, a motivating factor for, you know, why I, I do what I do ultimately. And I guess just uh, recognizing that you're you're the one asking all the questions. I I, I gotta say I saw uh, you did a podcast the other day with one of your your doppelgangers or digital twins. I'm <laughs> curious to know that story and how you, you came across him. Yeah. So hey, I'm meant to ask all the questions, you know. <laughs> I am. Um, well, well, firstly, thanks for your answer. Then I think your uh, your comment, whether it might not be a mantra, but your philosophy and motive to ultimately get better patient outcomes i think that's probably shared by many of us in the sector so i think it's a great a great thing to talk about and yeah my uh, my namesake um was a guy i mean i've written about this is a blog on linkedin 
we, we, we connected a decade ago on LinkedIn because someone was looking for me and found him. It was a guy that lived in, in the States. And then when I moved to the US, we connected. And long story short, we ended up actually meeting up in Boston last summer. Uh, it was it was great. And then <laughs> he started, he has a few podcasts actually, but he started a podcast called uh, Modern Minorities, which is, is to discuss uh, kind of the minorities in, in the US and celebrate minorities and, and the value they play. And, and I was on his show and uh, he interviewed me about my background and, and things like that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because we were texting each other this morning. It's, it's, it, you know, how the universe can bring you together with someone based on the fact that they have the same name as you is just, you know, an odd thing. But uh, yeah, I'm a, you know, as you know, you probably know me well enough, Jason, you know, I've got you know friends all over the world and I think uh, it's another one that I'm you know, proud of having a relationship with him and managed to uh, yeah, have a laugh on his podcast, <laughs> which, which was fun. Uh, yeah, so thanks for, thanks for asking the question. And thanks, obviously, for coming on to Molecule to Market. I think, you know, one of the reasons I was really keen, and I know it, you, you're so busy that it took us a while to get you on the show, but I, I just, you know, I genuinely think what you guys do is, is so valuable to the sector. It's so disruptive in the most positive of senses. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I genuinely encourage companies to have a conversation with you because I think what you guys are doing is, uh, you know, is the future of the sector. And I've seen what you guys do in other sectors, and it's a matter of time. And I think COVID is an accelerator. And so I think, you know, you you are a great guy, and you, you know, very well placed. I love how humble you are, and uh, yeah, it's been a it's been wonderful to have you on the show and I wish you nothing but continued success and, and health uh, for the months and years to come, Jason. Thank you so much, Ramon. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, I can't say enough good things about you know what you're doing with, with Ram Marketing and, and I'm very excited to, you know, hopefully we'll get to get together soon in person and, and get caught up. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to marketpod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.